Just over a month ago, then-Senate President Stan Rosenberg announced he was temporarily stepping down as an investigation was launched in the wake of a report that his husband groped several men and bragged of the clout he wielded on Beacon Hill. Stepping into the breach was Rosenberg's top deputy, Majority Leader Harriet Chandler of Worcester, who was unanimously tapped by her colleagues to serve as acting president. My colleague Bruce Mull and I sat down with Chandler to talk about the tumult in the Senate and the prominent role she has unexpectedly found herself in. Acting Senate President Harriet Chandler, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So, first of all, congratulations on your uh, election to the post. Well, thank you. I'm not sure it's congratulations. It may be more of a, a commiseration, but we're, 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 we're moving right along. And, uh, I mean, certainly, I, I mean, as you allude to, your, the circumstances of your election were not uh, standard. And, uh, and only a little over a month ago, I would guess you had no clue that you would be uh, sitting a, in, the, in, the, in the chair of president. Right, not a clue. So how, I mean, how has that been, just the sort of suddenness of it and, and, and now sort of being the one to sort of captain the ship, at least uh, for, for now? Well, this wasn't expected and it wasn't wanted. And uh, to suddenly be thrust into this position is, 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 is extraordinary. Uh, I have great feelings of, uh, about the, the Senate which is why I accepted this. This is an honor from my colleagues in the Senate. Uh, we are operating under a cloud, and we know that we believe that the Senate has lots of important business to do. We started this past uh, 2016, January of 2016, uh, with an agenda, and we are committed to continue that agenda. Uh, and it's my duty to keep this ship from listing too far. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And do you feel it is uh, listing a a little bit? Oh, I think it's difficult to take on an office where uh, there's a scandal of any kind, real or imagined, that that exists or is thought to exist without people feeling that there's a cloud. Hmm. Um, And you said it it wasn't wanted. Um, Most people sort of think of politicians, they're always, you know, ready to move up the ladder. You had no interest in that. I really had no interest. I loved what I was doing. Uh, I've had every other office in the Senate. I I think I've had every office in the Senate. And I really was very satisfied. I I was very satisfied to continue uh, as the Senate Majority Leader. So, no, I, I, I I didn't want it. I thought it would change my life. And it has. It has. And you don't think that might change, that you might, if the circumstances arise, you might want it permanently? Oh, I think we have wonderfully competent people who are interested in this job. And including, I mean, potentially the former Senate president, right? And potentially the former Senate I mean, president. It, it's, I mean, that's something that I've been sort of thinking about or even talking to folks about, you know, this idea that, you know, there's been some sense that, you know, sort of things move forward and, and we've heard about people being interested you know, at such time as you relinquish the chair. Uh, and there's been this sort of sense that the Senate is going to move ahead and elect a new leader. But I've talked to a number of people who say that's in no way really a foregone conclusion and I that think we're really that, waiting. I think that's correct. I think a lot of people are waiting to see uh, exactly what happens. And uh, clearly I am here until I am in this position until such time as it is time to vacate this office. 
And you have no sense of uh, the timing on all this? No, I really don't have any sense of the timing. Uh, that's a little unnerving at times because uh, we're in a, an investigation of the Senate president uh, that is being handled by the Ethics Committee. Uh, they have hired a, a team of experts to investigate, and that has begun. Uh, the whole matter is being taken has been taken up by the Ethics Committee. I have no involvement in it at all. And uh, I have no idea what the investigation, what turns, what bumps, what, what roads they will take as, we, as they move forward. Uh, and so my job is to get us through the next seven months. And it, it, it's a little hard because there were allegations made against the former Senate president's husband uh, anonymously by, that, that appeared in the paper. But is, what, is the, what is your sense uh, as a senator about the, what the Ethics Committee is investigating? The Ethics Committee, there are two investigations going on simultaneously. Uh, the first investigation is an investigation that we in the Senate undertook as we would normally do when there are charges of, of ethics, involving ethics uh, allegations, uh, to investigate our own, and our own is the Senate president, who is a member, obviously, of the Senate. Uh, we are concerned about what he knew, when he knew it, and frankly, how did it impact his, his, his making of public policy for the Senate. That's the scope of our, of our concern. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the interim, a, another investigation has been undertaken by the Attorney General, Maura Healy, and Dan Cooley, the, Conley, the uh, District Attorney for Suffolk. And they're looking at the sexual harassment charges uh, that have been leveled against of the Senate President's spouse. Okay. The two very separate investigations going on. Okay. We're concerned about the first. first. Um, and so I guess sort of turning to your, your role uh, as the Senate President or acting Senate President, I've, Act, even, I've even heard dispute over which, which is acting. the correct it's acting. Uh, term. So uh, this week uh, I think was your first uh, session as part of the, the so-called Big Three. Right. Uh, how, how, did, how, how was that? How did I that found, go? I found it very interesting. Uh, it's always interesting to, uh, to, to, to attend something that you've heard about. Uh, so you had never been in one of these sessions well, no, before? No, I had never been in leader. one. And, no. and quite frankly, I know each of the other two quite well. I've worked with them in the past, so that that's not a, you know, any new, new issue for me. Uh, but, it, you know, we, the three of us are charged with making sure that the state runs. And that's exactly what the, that meeting is, is about. It happens on a weekly basis, and I look forward to continuing this until I step down. Right. So a lot of people in your district know you very well, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of the state, you may not be a, um, a household name, a, right. a known commodity. So tell our listeners uh, who you are and, and sort of what they, what they should know about you as you take over this key role. Well, my name is Harriet Chandler. <laughs> I am a Democrat from the 1st Worcester District. I have been in the legislature. This is my 24th year. I served six years in the House, and this is my 18th year in the Senate. Um, I, I, my concerns, my interests have long been in health care. 
I have served as chair of the health care committee when I was in the House, and I have been involved in health care on a variety of levels ever since. Uh, I, uh, educationally, I have a, a PhD in international relations and government from Clark University. I have an MBA in business from Simmons Graduate School of Management, and I think I'm using both of those degrees much more efficiently by serving in the legislature. It's a very demanding role to serve in the, in the legislature because we're representing a lot of people and their future depends on how we, how we proceed. So uh, you, you mentioned you're a Democrat, but are you a liberal Democrat, a conservative I, Democrat? I think or? I'm a moderate Democrat. Moderate I, Democrat. I would, I'm a very practical person and uh, I'm not ideologically, uh, I'm not, I, I don't operate from an ideological base. I operate really from the base of someone who wants to get something accomplished. Hmm. And you did, uh, in terms of sort of that, to that point of getting what you want to get accomplished, you did sort of lay out a, a bit of an agenda in, in, it, in giving your remarks when you were, when you took over. Uh, yes. What would you, among those, I know there's been a lot of attention uh, to your uh, highlighting uh, the issue of housing uh, production. Yes, I feel very concerned about housing, and, and for, for every good reason. For the last 10 years, ever since I chaired the Housing Committee in, in the Senate, uh, we have worried about the housing situation. And quite frankly, people in the Boston area can't afford to live in the Boston area because it's so expensive. Young people can't afford to, they graduate from college and they really can't afford to live here. And it, I think it has an enormous impact on our ability to encourage companies to come to Boston and come to the eastern part of Massachusetts. But it also has a problem, it causes a problem in the rest of the state. Uh, when we talk about affordable housing today, we're really not, and we need, we need housing, more housing, because that would uh, deflate the cost of, of the price of housing. But it, it, in, in the rest of our state, uh, in the western part, the central part of the state where I live, mm -hmm. uh, in Worcester, we have a wonderful housing stock. And we're trying to encourage people to use the T, uh, use commuter rail, take the, the, the car to, to work in, in, in Boston, live in Worcester, if there aren't jobs available for them in Worcester. Uh, the problem is that, you know, they're all interrelated. It's not just housing, it's transportation, uh, which is interrelated to the housing situation. Uh, we've got to do a better job. It took me two hours, over two hours, to get in from Worcester this morning. Wow. Uh, and that's leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning. And is that sort of typical? Uh, Very typical. Uh, if you hit that traffic at the wrong time, it is an unbelievable situation. Uh, and I see more and more young people looking for housing, looking for ways to stay in Massachusetts. We're, you know, we're an innovation economy here, and we want to encourage that. But young people can't afford to stay here because it, they can't mm. even afford to live where they were brought up because it's too expensive. And so what, what is it that the Senate or the legislature as a whole can do to tackle that? Is well, this a, I think the zoning of, question? Is it funding? I, or I think, I think part of it's zoning, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. I know that um, people's uh, you know, eyes uh, glaze over when you start to talk about zoning. They but, do. They but, do. But, but we'll mine light up. Mine light up when you well, say make, that. Make it exciting for us. Tell us. Well, uh, you know, we have 351 cities and towns in Massachusetts, and with 351 cities and towns, each with their own zoning codes, 
it is almost an impossibility for a developer to come in and do a good job. And if you go from one town to another, the zoning changes, so it becomes very difficult. Uh, and we have towns that are that have acreage limits. Right. Uh, you have to have three acres to perhaps build. Well, three acres, what can you afford to build there? You, Enough. Uh, you could afford to build a McMansion. Right. That's, that's, about, that's about it. I mean, we've had stories uh, in the magazine going back 10, 15 years on this very topic, and it, it feels like one that it constantly gets raised, but in the end... You can't settle it. You That's can't, because in the in the end, even though people say they're concerned about housing, towns largely want to keep it that way. They, they want to, uh, you know, keep out more modest-sized, moderately-priced housing, frankly, and so... But, you know, the thing that made a difference in America after World War II was the Levittown kind of... <laughs> Right, building. starter homes. Those are the starter homes. Those are the kinds of homes that people, everybody wants to have their own home. They, they, they absolutely do. But you can't afford it in this day and age. Uh, and so affordable housing is ha housing has ceased to be for just poor people. And I, I, I use that term <coughs> very carefully. It's really for today we're working, we're talking about working families. We're talking about people who were maybe the husband and the wife or the couple both work and they still cannot afford to live mm -hmm. in, in, in their own house. And that's a problem for us. Mm -hmm. That's a real problem. Um, so the first thing we need yeah. to do is to do some changes in zoning. And we have a bill. I have a bill. It's been around for a while. We've I've been carrying a bill on zoning for, I, I think, 10 years. Well, I mean, it seems like now is the time to strike. Now, You've got a little bit of... Now uh, it's got to be the time to strike. We need it very badly. Uh, so it, first would be zoning. And I think secondly, I think we the governor has been a tremendous help of this in this area because the governor has a bill that he has just completed. Um, and we can agree with many of the things that he has in the bill. However... It's more carrot than stick, and we're not sure we can get all of it, you know, all of the things that have to be done. We, we, his is a good starting point, mm -hmm. and I think with the House and the Senate working together to surround that wonderful bill that the governor has created, I think we might have ourselves a bill this year. Really? Well, that would be a big... It would be a starting uh, point. Right. A starting right. point. Yeah. You know, we just uh, came out with a new issue this week, and, and our cover story was about Airbnb and how many people are, uh, it used to, it started out as sort of rent out the back room or the in-law apartment to, to make a little extra money, but increasingly people are investing in units and converting them into short-term rentals. In, in fact, entire buildings have been converted. Taking you know, essentially units out of the housing stock. Is this something that you're concerned about in, in regard to... I think this is something we've got to look into much more carefully because, uh, you know, to, to say this is something we're concerned about means what, what are the implications for us? What is, what is this going to do to a housing market that's already somewhat beleaguered? And it is somewhat beleaguered at this point in time. Right. Uh, and I understand the need for people to want to make some money or extra. I mean, it's one thing to take your own housing and put take a room or two and use it for, for a rental. It's another thing to have whole buildings. That changes our housing stock, and that, that causes some problems for us. Right, right. So I, th I think we really have to look at that in, in, in a much larger framework than just saying 
Airbnb is doing this? What does this mean for the, for the Commonwealth? Right. Um, another issue that is, uh, is on, the, on the plate right now is criminal justice reform. Uh, there's a conference committee working, so I know it's sort of moved beyond the point of the big wide open debates in the House and the Senate. But, um, I mean, where, where is that? Where does that stand? And well, I, I would imagine as the acting Senate president that you still have a, a deep interest and that you ta- are speaking to the, to the Senate conferees and checking in with them at least. Well, I can only say so much because that this is, once something goes to conference, it shuts off the, the discussion until the conference committee comes out with their, uh, with their, uh, w- with their agreements. Uh, we're hoping that it will be done sooner rather than later. Uh, this is something we've all been looking for for a, a long time. Uh, uh, mandatory minimums is one of the, the major issues, obviously. Which is kind of a sticking point. I mean, it, there's a pretty I, I, significant I, difference in the well, two bills, there are, right? Well, there is a significant difference, as you well know. Uh, I can't tell you where that is because I'm not on the conference committee. But clearly that is a, a, a real concern. And there's some ideological issues here that are, are, are of concern as well. So stay tuned. I mean, I hope to see this out by, we hoped it would be out by the end of January. Uh, it looks like maybe early February might be a better better timing for it. I was curious. Um, it's been a while since um, there's actually been a, in a, well, there's always been an election for Senate president. But in this case, uh, I think when, uh, Stan Rosenberg took the job. There had been a number of maneuver, maneuverings behind the scenes so that when it came to the final vote, the outcome was somewhat known, I think. This time it seems like it could be sort of a wide-open situation because the timing could be rather quick. I mean, uh, th- this report could come back, and then I guess the Senate would move on to the next step, what to do. Um, and four people, I think, of a... Uh, oh, that's what we know of right now. Yeah. I'm sure there are probably going to be more. Yeah. So h- how does that how does that work? That'll be a public vote and... Uh, It'll be public. It'll be just like any other vote we've ever taken. But the important thing is, and the four that have already announced that they're interested in becoming the president, have agreed to a, a protocol that I've asked of them that we keep the, the politicking, if you will, uh, 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 we, we, we keep this below the radar because we've got to move forward as a Senate. And if we have a divisive campaign for uh, the next Senate president, that's not going to help us do the job that we're really sent to do in, in, on Beacon Hill. But even if, if you do that, there, at some point there will become a mm-hmm. vote, and let's say there's four, five, six. There, s- but there often are. That's not unusual. Okay. Uh, sometimes it just comes down to, to two as it did the last time. Right. But that isn't always the, the, the case. Okay. I mean, I've been through a few of these. And yeah. They're, they're divisive. And, uh, but I think the, 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 the four people who've already announced are very well-intentioned, and they understand what is best for the Senate, and they have been very good about uh, doing, what they're, doing any politicking in a very quiet manner. And so if there's a vote, someone has to get, I mean, I know this and is... And they will. They have to get a majority of the Senate. They have to get a majority of the Senate, absolutely. And, and if they don't on a first ballot, it just keeps going? It keeps going. Ah, so the Republicans could have a little influence here then, huh? Well, we have seven now. Right. They, 
Uh, they they could. It's more than a, more than can fit in a phone booth. We, that used to be the joke, right? At some well, point. it's interesting because the very first. Not that we have phone booths anymore. Not right? that we have. Maybe I should explain what You're those are. Your age, for Michael. some for some of our listeners, I should explain what those are. Right. Um, the first ballot that uh, was a, a speaker's fight that uh, was my my first in the in the house, and that was the Tom Finneran. Uh, oh. And speaking that of was, the role of Republicans, and right? That, speaking of the role of Republicans, yeah, that was I, I had never seen anything like that before, and I had never certainly been involved before. But that was very the Republican vote made a difference in that one. Yeah. So it's not without its historical precedents. Yeah. So that'll be uh, that will take quite a bit of time, I would imagine. To I don't know. Yeah. I'm not even thinking about that right now. My my focus and my concern is. Very straightforward. We have a lot of legislation to get out that is important. It's important for the Commonwealth, and that's my job. And the issue, I, all I have to concern myself with in terms of the, the, the efforts to, for the next president is that it not distress and disturb the Senate and keep it from doing its business. Mm. Yeah. Well, and... and and I guess I, one question I've been curious about is that, I mean, you were among uh, Stan Rosenberg's kind of closest allies and loyalists. So has it been hard it's in, been, in that regard for you to it's take been up very, this it's, role? It's been very difficult yeah. for so many. I mean, uh, you have to understand that uh, Senator Rosenberg is a, was a, is a very loved member of the Senate. And this is very difficult for the Senate itself. Right. It's not just me or any of the members of his leadership team. It's, I think, everyone. He brought a new breath of fresh air to the Senate. He had a style of governing that was uh, that we are still using, shared leadership, shared, is that, are you shared sort responsibility. Of well, we, we do it kind of well. Continuing that, we, yeah. We do it kind of well now, and mm-hmm. we're, it's part of the way we, we, we function, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it's a difficult time. Right. But it's funny, you talk to some senators and they say that even if a report comes back and says he did nothing untoward or did not break any Senate rules, oh, you know, he's toast. It's, it's, it's time to move on because of all the scandal around this. Um, do you believe that or do you? I, I think I'm going to have to wait and see what the Ethics Commission comes back with, what the investigation shows the investigation gives its report and its recommendations to the uh, to the ethics committee. The ethics committee then votes and brings their 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 recommendation to the to full the full body. And that's when and the public learns about what. That's when the public learns. That's when we learn. Right. Well, uh, acting Senate President Harry Chandler, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming in to talk with us. It's been great to. Uh, talk with you and let uh, let our listeners uh, uh, get to know you a little bit. Hear hear about uh, your plans for 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 your tenure, uh, whatever brief its as length, it may be, whatever its length may be. Right. But but thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And for my colleague Bruce Small, this is Michael Jonas. You've been listening to another installment of the Codcast from Commonwealth Magazine. You can subscribe to the Codcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week.